1: This place is special. get asked all the time, where's your favorite place to take college game day? And I say every time, Eugene, Oregon. This is the best crowd, honestly, it's six in the morning here. Yeah. It's dark. It's raining. They don't care. (laughs) These fans right here, pound for pound, are as good as any college football fans in the country. This program is staged to compete and to win championships.
0: this has become... When we watch this film, does our effort beat theirs? Here's Bo Nix, guns it! Touchdown, Oregon! Been making deposits, time to cash a check. Sound at Austin, which is deafening for an-
1: Man, it feels great to be a duck.
0: Welcome to the QB11 Show, presented by Scoop Duck with Doug, Andrew, and J Hop. Here are the guys with the latest Scoop. Hello, welcome in one more time to the QB11 show, presented by Scoop Duck. Today I am joined by the actual, you know, namesake of the show, QB11. Or I guess it's the other way around the show is the namesake of you. How does that work? Anyway, Andrew, um, good to see you. Good to have you back again.
1: Yeah, glad to be back again. Sorry I was unable to record last weekend, but um here we are back at it again. Let's let's uh let's get into this. I know we have a lot to talk about today.
0: Yeah, and I'll just say it was very weird recording an episode of the QB11 show without QB11 and something I don't want to do uh, very often. So I'm sorry I wasn't able to work out last time. It was totally my fault and we're happy to have you back. No, actually, it actually
1: <laughs> it was not your fault. And like I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna throw myself under the bus. You and I were supposed to record last night and you're like, hey, I'll be ready at this time. And like it was 15 minutes after we were supposed to start, which is not it's like not a big deal, right? Um and I was just like laying there, like with my computer in my lap, waiting for you, and I totally crashed. Uh, and so we didn't record
0: last night. So I apologize. <laughs> I think we're one to one now on inadvertent naps because I think that happened to me a couple of weeks ago when yeah. you know, we were supposed to record. So this was in the nap; this was like bedtime, but <laughs> it, was a, it was a long day. So um, we're well. Good. Let's All jump right. into it. I, I think before we get into the meat of it, I do I, we do have a couple guys we need to shout out. Um, oh, you know, there's Scoop Ducks, a leaderboard over on Scoop Duck, and Idaho Duck Fan over on Scoop Duck, and they've been very generous to. Um, to throw some money at the show to help us kind of support our overhead uh, recording studio costs. I mean, a virtual studio, right. Our recording uh, software costs, microphones, things like that, that we're going to be able to, to upgrade and kind of continue to to use because of their generosity. So I just wanted to, to shout them out. And I think QBU had some additional things from them.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. I, I've been talking with the Idaho duck fan a little bit. Um, I've just been like stupid slammed so far to start the year but just super nice guy. Really, really appreciate Like he went out of his way to like reach out to us and be like, Hey, we'd like to support the show. And so I sent him like the link and it like, I think it caps out at like nine ninety nine 99 a month. And he's like, he's like, Oh no, no, this is, this is not adequate. Like we, like, we love the show. We really want to help. And so, yeah, he like, they went above and beyond and just really injected some, some capital into the show and that's just awesome. And we really, really appreciate them and um, that they are, Yeah, just tremendous. I I would never have expected in a million years that uh, when we started this show that something like this was gonna happen. Um, And so just
0: the utmost thanks and uh, hat tip to you two. We really appreciate you guys. Yeah, and on that note, I guess we should, I don't want to ignore the people that are regular monthly subscribers to us as well. So on our anchor stream, there's a subscribe button for those who want to, and and it's just a small amount of money per month up to 9.99 uh as you mentioned but you know we have we have six people over there supporting us a couple that we know very well kaylee or sorry keely chris Belize, ryan and a few others uh, lisa and uh, gray and so just i uh, thank you to all of you like it's it's definitely appreciated and and if we don't yeah. say it often enough and enough you know we should
1: yeah and we don't take just just to be honest with you guys like we don't take any of this for granted i know I was unable to get on um, the podcast last week actually because of work stuff and uh, everyone has real lives and schedules, but um, like we, we haven't touched a penny of that and we're we're really saving it up so that we can make like wholesale, large upgrades to our audio setups um, and that that, that equipment isn't inexpensive. And um, so, yeah, we're, we're just taking it slow and waiting and kind of letting that, that, that pool accumulate so we can get some good stuff and, get Justin off of recording off of his phone and uh, <laughs> doing the dishes while we record. Right. And so um, he's not here to defend himself. So I'm going to go ahead and throw him under mm-hmm. the bus, but yeah, no, we just, we really, really, really appreciate everybody. And um, the, the names you listed and every, and everyone else who listens, even if you don't contribute, don't plan to contribute, um, aren't contributing a penny. Like it, it doesn't really matter. We just, the the community of people that, that listen to this podcast, the, random DM I'll get at six o'clock on a Tuesday night. Like, it's awesome. And uh, I know Doug and I both agree on this, that it's, it's really unique and we want to continue to grow the show and um, interact with you guys as much as possible. And so we're, we're, we're getting now with this new platform that we were able to purchase because of the generosity of some of our supporters um, we're going to be bringing people on. Well, we haven't really talked about it uh, very much yet, but I'd love to be able to bring some people on for segments. um and include them in the show and um do some more like call-in style stuff where we just have like conversations about Oregon football
0: with other fans so yeah i, I love that I, let's do it i think uh, yeah the platform will definitely support that and we can we can put that together going forward uh with all that being said we we got a number of topics we wanted to touch on today so let's uh let's jump right into it i think starting with uh, another transfer portal get for Oregon. Uh, we talked about Taishim Johnson ahead of his visit a couple episodes ago, and he went ahead and pulled the trigger uh, to get to Oregon. So he becomes Oregon's 10th commit out of the transfer portal uh, coming over from Ole Miss where he played nickel last year, it's 5'10", 190. Uh, he's got two uh he played two years there. He's got three years to play two uh, at Oregon if he wants. He's originally out of Pennsylvania, but uh, you know, I know QB. You kind of touched on this a little bit already. Obviously, you wrote the eval, which is over on Scoop Duck. But maybe just kind of refresh everyone's memory with, you know, a couple thoughts on him and where he fits in.
1: Yeah. So I had the ability to actually sit down and watch a little bit of his tape before writing the eval, which was a lot more helpful than just kind of shooting from the hip. And uh, the system I have had him at five ten, two hundred confirmed and he was a guy that had some pretty good GPS times as well. So he's definitely a more explosive player than than Bennett was playing in the nickel um, in terms of just like speed and range. But he's also a really quick trigger. And even though he's a little bit shorter, um, he's a stocky guy with with good instincts. Like he can slip blocks and make plays. And he's a really good tackler, like a really good tackler. He's a very aggressive tackler, like gets his hands on you. He's going to fight like hell to get you to the ground. Um, and like watching the Alabama game, there was a couple plays where, like he's one on one against the tackle in space as the as the overhang defender in, in their they they play a base uh, dime and he's slipping blocks against tackles and making five yard tackle for losses against Jameer Gibbs who's like one, going to be one of the first running backs off the board in this year's draft um, so he's a really really talented player in in the in the box I think both as a uh, run defender and then against the screen game like receivers really have a hard time blocking him and. Um, he has he has good timing for slipping blocks and making tackles and again I think the the fact that he's such a sure tackle gives me comfort because that was the one thing that Bennett Williams really excelled at this year for us in the nickel uh, and that's something that I don't foresee dropping off with him and I think that actually his range is gonna make him even more effective um, in terms of his coverage ability he's he's a little bit more fluid um, he can move, he can move in space a little bit more freely than Bennett could Uh, at times he would be playing deep in their three high safety stuff, like the the Iowa state style three high safety looks. And then he would usually buzz down or play the robber and play underneath routes and like zone coverage. Um, But even in man, like he's not somebody that's easily boxed out by bigger tight ends. I know he's not the tallest guy in the world, but um, he's really strong. And he, and he plays with, um, a lot of athletic arrogance. Like he's just not a guy that's going to get moved off his spot easily. He's not going to just like give ground. Uh, And and I think that's something that's going to be really helpful for us in coverage next year, uh, but especially in the run game.
0: Yeah. All right. That's great. Thank you for that. And again, you can read more about uh, QB's evaluation over on ScoopDeck as well. And and maybe this is time. I think the portal obviously closed a couple of weeks ago now. Um, You know, it'll reopen again in mid-April. The original window was going to be May 1st through 15th. There was kind of quietly passed an update that the portal window for the, the spring will be actually moved up a little bit. It'll be April 15th through 30th. Again, once you're in the portal, you can leave at any time. It's just getting in the portal during that time frame, So that'll have a little bit of an impact potentially on some, some guys, um, in spring ball, you know, we'll see how that goes. But I think both from, from a standpoint of people, players who will enter the portal leaving Oregon. And, and at this point, Oregon still needs at least seven more, uh, to depart the program by then by fall. And, um, as well as any potential new kids coming out of the portal to Oregon. I think we're, we're probably looking at spring. Uh, so it's a good time to maybe recap or, you know, what Oregon's done in the portal, um, this off season, I think going through, I mean, obviously there's a lot of people that have left, you know, from an impact standpoint, I think we've covered this before, you know, really, uh, you know, Mata Val, Dante Thornton were probably the biggest, um, departures from a productivity standpoint
1: Cam McCormick had, as
0: well at cam McCormick. Yeah. Yeah. Good call out there. And I think, you know, you had a couple of guys who maybe had some potential to be contributors like, uh, Keanu Williams, uh, on the defensive line. And, um, other than that, I think, you know, most of the guys that left weren't contributing at Oregon for whatever reason. Uh, but you really look at what you, what Oregon's bringing in and they're bringing in 10 guys, um, seven of them are from power five programs. Uh, the three exceptions are, are Evan Williams coming over from Fresno state. Um, obviously a Johnny Cornelius coming from Rhode Island. You know, he's a bit of a, a unique circumstance. Uh, he was the, still the number one pursued tackle in the portal. This is, he's got a power five like profile. Right. Uh, and then the third one being, um, uh, Taz Johnson, right. Coming over the, the, the wide receiver. So, um, on the offensive side, four players: uh, the aforementioned uh, Johnny and Tez Johnson, uh, Johnny Curtis at tackle, Tez Johnson at receiver, slot receiver, um, and then you've got uh, uh, Junior Angelo at interior offensive line, and of course TreShaun Holden at wide receiver. You know, to me, QB, all four of these guys look to be, you know, heavily in the rotation, if not starters, in the upco- upcoming season, and I think that's kind of mirrors what Oregon did in the portal last year. What do you think about the offensive hall there?
1: Yeah, I think three of these guys are locked in to be starters. The only one I don't know about is Junior Angelou, Um, and that's only because I just don't know how they're going to shuffle out the offensive line. Uh, I don't know who's starting at center. I would assume – on this podcast, we've been operating under the assumption that Jackson Powers Johnson is going to be the starting center, um, and I, I do expect that to be the case. I have no reason to think it won't be. Um, and if that's the case, Marcus Harper staying saying at left, left guard that – leaves an opening at right guard um, for some competition. And so uh, there's, some, there's some good players on the roster already at that spot that's, that are young guys coming up. And then you plug in Angelau as well, who's a, a guy who's going to be a fourth-year starter, um, has started three full years at Texas at, at, at right guard. So um, I think he ends up playing and starting. Either way, he's going to be a key part of a rotation at that position. Uh, and really give us he's really gonna give us a lot of a lot of leadership there. like some of the things I heard about him from his official visit, like guy was on his official visit. He's supposed to be like getting wind and dying and checking out the program. and he's just absolutely in the weight room just crushing it at like five o'clock in the morning. Um, and like in, in during bull prep, giving like getting on our offensive linemen, um and just injecting juice into practice as so the guy who's on a visit. so, think that says a lot about who he is as a, as a person um and as a leader and i think that there's going to be a lot of in, a lot of value there even if he ends up not being the starter at right guard uh, but i would probably put him as the favorite johnny cornelius starting at right tackle is a lock like they brought him in for that reason he would have started at any of the schools he visited uh nebraska ohio state tennessee or oregon he's just that good um and then Keontez Johnson and Treshawn Holden filled needs like we need to get more explosive in the slot. And I think that Tez does that. He's a, he's a really good route runner. Um, he's not the biggest guy in the world, but he, but he's just effective. Um, and then Treshawn Holden stepping in to chase code shoes opposite of Troy Franklin on the outside as a bigger bodied, or possession oriented receiver with some pretty good explosiveness. So, um, I think that all four of those guys play major roles on this team, and I think they came to Oregon because of the ability to win now. Like these are all guys that have one year left, uh, except for Cornelius, but he's going to be going pro. Yeah,
0: yeah, so, hold, I totally sorry, agree holding, with you.
1: holding yeah, those two years as well. My apologies.
0: Yeah, I think they're guys that are looking for ready-made opportunities on a team that is built to win now, right? And I think that you know it's really hard to to knock Oregon this staff for what they did in the portal last year, right? Everybody they brought in outside of Caleb Chapman, um, you know, was a, was either a starter or a significant contributor to the rotation. And and it certainly seems like this group is falling in that same mold and, and Oregon's identifying needs, identifying guys who can fit those needs and then getting them. And, and it's, it, you know, I think they're ranked by all the services as having one of the top top 10 portal classes in the country and, and along with their top 10 recruiting high school recruiting class. So You know, there's a talent infusion, uh, you know, coming into this team at the positions where it's most needed.
1: Yeah, I mean, and this isn't like guesswork, really. Like, there's a couple guys that you're projecting a little more than others. I'd say there's probably two, Um, but they're they're getting guys with track records of success playing other places and playing high volumes of snaps. Um, So, like, you know what the floor is for these players before they even arrive. Um, and, And in some of these cases, I think that the environment at Oregon. The, the supporting cast is going to make them better. Um, so that, that's the part that gets me excited about this group. And it's just accenting what's already in place offensively. Like when you lose the group of offensive linemen we lost last year, it's like, oh, how are we going to – like I saw a Husky fan tweeting about it yesterday. It was like, well, Oregon's losing four starters. I mean, it's really kind of three, but whatever. Like four starters. Well, you want to fix that? You bring in two guys that have started multiple years of high-level football, um, in angle and, and you bring in the number one portal guy in Cornelius a tackle to, and then the, the only guy, young guy that's going to be playing who hasn't played and started 10 plus games is going to be the left tackle who was a five-star redshirt freshman who all the, all the rave out of camp is that he's been exceptional already this off season. So, um, I feel really good about the offensive line. And I think a big piece of that was the way that they approached it in the, uh, in the portal.
0: Yeah, it's a little bit disingenuous to say. I mean, you are losing four starters technically, right? But like you said, you're bringing in two guys who who are starters uh, from the portal who have been starters, and and you're bringing and you also have a guy like Jackson Powers Johnson and a guy like Stephen Jones, who have both started. A, and Harper Jones is star and Harper too, right? Well, he was the returner, right? But uh, so you know, you look at those two guys. You know, Jones has been here for five years and started. I don't know, a, a probably well over. 10 games, maybe close to 20 games. He's played an incredible amount of snaps. Uh, Jackson Powers-Johnson the last two years has been a key backup in in, in the rotation and played
1: he started know, 500, in games.
0: 600 snaps. He's he started games yeah. both years.
1: Yeah, and so you're looking – and they're bringing in Cornelius, who's been a starter since he was a freshman. Although at Rhode Island, like, he's played good good people. There's a reason he's the top transfer portal tackle. Like, I was watching Cornelius' film of him against Albany. It's like, oh, well, why would you watch him against Albany? All when he had this guy named Jared verse who would have been a first round draft pick this year, if he didn't return to Fresno or not Fresno, Florida state. Um, and like is one of the better pass rushers in all of college football going into next year. And I watched him against Pitt. Pitt had a really good defensive front last year and some good pass rushers. And he was exceptional in both of those games. And so, you know, you know what it looks like when he's playing against top end talent. And frankly, like who are the top edge rushers in the PAC 12 next year? Washington's got Trice. Um, and then yeah, the beyond ZTF that, is back, yeah, yeah. I mean, but ZTF outside of his little COVID spree, where he went off and got a bunch of sacks, what has he done? So, I, like, there's just not a lot of high profile pass rushers returning in the conference. And with with Cornelius and Connerly, I think you feel really good about the offensive line and what and the way that they ad- addressed
0: um, the way they addressed those positions through the portal and prep recruiting. Yeah, completely. Uh, Flipping over to the defensive side of the ball, there's six six guys at that level, and obviously that's the side of the ball that needed a lot more attention. Uh, You know, I think in offense, you're just trying to like replace the departing players and maintain your high level offense. And I think you know we talked about how how Oregon's doing that and appears to be doing that. On the defensive side of the ball, you actually need improvement, right? You need substantial improvement across the board, as we've talked about, you know, at ad nauseum, right? And so you got you know one of those the biggest need by far is edge rushing right? And they brought in Jordan Birch, the former five-star recruit from South Carolina uh, to fill that need. Uh, you also brought in along the, um, at the linebacker spot, you brought in Justin Jacobs as a guy who played and started uh, games at Iowa, was probably in line to be their starter before getting hurt last year, right? And, you know, brought in another linebacker, Connor Sowell out of Arizona State, we talked about before, didn't play a ton of snaps there, um, you know, it, it's probably a depth piece for Oregon, at least a, a, in a worst case scenario, if he provides playable depth, you know, that's a position that we needed, you know, Oregon needed depth at. Uh, so let's talk about those frontline players first.
1: Yeah, well, starting with Birch. I mean, Birch was a top 10 player coming out of high school. Um, he has played a ton of football like he was he was the number one player outside of one of the corners last year. He was the number one player in terms of total snap count for South Carolina on defense. Like he played a ton. And in fact, I think that this has been my opinion. We talked about this in the podcast after he committed. I think that because of, of need and lack of lack of bodies um, at the at their four I five technique defensive end, um, they kind of pumped him up and made him made him bigger than he's supposed to be and had him playing inside. And his frame can carry it because he is six six and he is two seventy 270 or two seventy five. I think he's two seventy five, um, but really his best skill set is, is is explosive athleticism and how unique his mobility is for a guy who's six six, two seventy five. And so for him to come to Oregon, bump out and play on the edge, not be asked to play inside, uh, lose some weight and re- regain some of, and kind of even regain more athleticism um, through strength and conditioning and, and just kind of leaning out like this is. This is a money year for Jordan Birch. Like he could really pop and make himself some cash, um, and I think that he's the way he's going to do that is by showing that he can rush the passer as a true edge player. Um, and if you're going to take a shot on a guy who maybe doesn't have insane production as a pass rusher at this stage, uh, although he did have tons and tons of pressures, he just wasn't converting them to sacks. I think he had the second most pressures in the SEC last year. Um, then bring him in, let him play on the edge where he's supposed to be at a lighter weight and also play him less snaps. Like he was just playing every snap. And so like you have to sit in and and play the run and get pounded on. And then you're supposed to have the juice on third down or passing situations to come off the edge. Like some, there was some criticism of him maybe loafing on some reps and, Maybe that's true, but I also think there's just like actual fatigue involved there, especially carrying around extra weight that he shouldn't be. Um, and so I'm really excited to see what Jordan Birch looks like physically in the spring and uh, what he looks like in the fall and, and how they use him and how they rotate him to keep him fresh so that he can be an explosive player and use that just freaky natural athleticism that he has. Because guys that are 6'5 and – 275 who can switch over and play tight end and run vertical routes or, Mm -hmm. or outrun everybody on a pick six are not very common. Um, And so I, I'm really excited about Jordan Burch. And I think he, in terms of what was, what became available in this year's transfer portal, I think he's the best edge rusher that became available. And I think that there is just so much upside for both him and Oregon with that like combination of coming together.
0: Yeah, I I think again, Oregon Oregon Field needs there um, at that position, and,
1: and also like, yeah. sorry to interrupt, Doug, but he is like a way, way, way better run defender than than anybody we had on the edge last year. Like, it, like the fact that he could slide down and stack tackles and play off, like he was a very consistently good run defender last year. Um, and I watched every single game of his of his film, and I I couldn't. Like we're like some of the times against Oregon State late in that game when we were just getting gashed, like we couldn't set an edge. Like that is not going to be a problem with Jordan Birch on the field. He's going to be able to stack guys, set edges, play off blocks, and and make tackles. Like that's just who he is. Um, it's really the question is like how much development from a pass rush standpoint can you get him over that hump and turn him from a pressure guy into a sack guy? And we really need that. And if he does, that substantially raises the ceiling of Oregon's twenty twenty
0: three defense. All right, I, I I can't I can't disagree with that more. And I think you know one of the things I think Oregon was challenged by last year is they had a lot of players, that, especially at that position, that I think are kind of one-dimensional players. Right? They could play the run, or they could pass rush, but they can't really do both.
1: And so you see a lot of guys. Rushing
0: well yeah 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 but you see a lot of guys running on and off the field all the time right and then and it, and i think it also in that scenario it makes it easier for offensive coordinators to pick on you right you know and call plays you know based on your personnel you know that that play to their strengths if you have guys who are who can actually you know defend both ways it, it gives you more you know it just makes you better
1: yeah and i expect our pass rush to improve on the interior as well and that's a, a factor of getting a player like Birch allows you to, to rush doorless from his more natural three technique more often. And then getting Popo back from, from injury is, can't be understated. Like he was one of, or he was probably Oregon's second best interior rusher behind doorless when he was healthy. Um, and so getting those two back and rushing from the inside and then whatever you can get from freshmen on top of the guys that return is just icing on the cake. Um Kind of transitioning over to the more bubble linebacker players that, that came in, talking about Justin Jacobs from Iowa. Um, I don't know if he starts. I would expect that he does. Um, he was a starter quality player. He was starting at Iowa prior to his injury that shortened his season substantially last year. And he was a guy that played a ton of snaps as the number three backer in their two backer system um, in the 2021 season where he really flashed and made a lot of plays. Um, really like, Anybody that's coming from Iowa that's playing a lot of snaps, they're going to be extremely gap sound smart guys, uh, which Jacobs is no different. But he's a, he's a better athlete than the guys that they're used to having. Uh, Longs like six, six, three, six, four, two, 240, 235. Again, another guy where I think that like the big thing for him this offseason is staying lighter, getting getting more explosive, getting maximizing his athleticism as much as possible. Uh, but he's going to step on the campus as one of our best, if not the best coverage linebacker. He was absolutely tremendous in coverage for Iowa, uh, even playing as an overhang. And when they just played base four, three, at like, the same linebacker um, just like whether it was a slot, a tight end didn't really matter. He was actually very good in coverage uh, graded out tremendous. in that, in that aspect of the game, um, another really strong tackler. There's not any reps of him uh, at Iowa, really rushing the passer. He would, blitz occasionally, but more in rundown situations. Uh, So I'll be interested to see what we can get from him as a blitzer and and a pass rusher. But that's like the only part of his game that I don't feel really confident with him coming in. Um, And then there's Connor Sowell from from ASU. Um, Didn't play as much as his brother. His brother is basically the same player that Connor is, but he's about three inches taller and 20 pounds heavier. Uh, Both very, very good athletes. Like Connor Sowell can run. Like I expect him to be on every special team. And I expect him to be in the linebacker rotation. He's a good. He's, he's a very solid player, um, and I think that he raises the floor for the room just by his presence in the rotation. Like you, you don't. There's a lot of unknown behind Bassa and Brown at this point. Like I'm, I'm really excited about Jackson. I'm interested to see how Taggart develops this off season. But bringing in Soul to be like like that fourth guy in the rotation, um, I just gives me comfort knowing we have some depth because uh, i do think he's going to be a very dependable player and i think he's a guy that oregon fans have kind of dismissed already uh and i would not be surprised at all if he's playing like a lot and making plays because he can run um he plays linebacker position the right way he plays uh with with good with good instincts good eye discipline um he can read and react he's not he's a, he's more of a key and diagnose backer than a lot of our guys showed to be this year um he, again, he played like a little bit more limited reps because his brother and Merlin Robinson are kind of entrenched there at ASU. Uh, but when he did play, he was not a liability. He was actually a very solid player. Um, and the the film of him is, it's it's good film. It's not like, oh man, this guy's a scrub third, second team guy. who's just, he just plays when guys get tired. No, like he, he was actually an asset to them when he got on the field. So um I know I'm a little bit higher on Connor soul than everybody else. And I'm totally comfortable with
0: that based on the film I've watched. Well, time will tell how that pans out. I mean, to me, it was a just, you know, as someone who doesn't evaluate film and evaluate players, it was, it was very weird when I heard he was visiting and then committed because, you know, you look at his, you look at his snap counts, you look at, you know, like what he's done, you know, from a productivity standpoint, and it's, it's pretty minimal. And you're like, why is Oregon taking this guy? But I also have to sit here and say, I got to trust the coaches on this one. I mean, they proved to be able to find talent out of the portal last year and talent that ended up playing and contributing at a high level to Oregon. And so uh, clearly they see something. I mean, there's a lot of linebackers they could have gone after, right? And, and, and yeah. they chose him. And so clearly they're seeing something in him. And, and well, whatever it is, I'm going to trust that, that they know what they're doing.
1: Yeah, so like the, the questions was sold, right? Like, okay, so how does he run? Really, really well. Like it, he's going to be challenging Bassa – for to be the fastest linebacker in the room like he can run he can run run um and okay so so you know he can run so he can play now how does he key and diagnose how does he take on blocks and how does he tackle and he can diagnose as well he's excellent at taking on blocks i'd say borderline better than anyone we had last year and he's a good tackler now he, he's not a superstar he's not making a ton of splash plays but if, if you're a coach at Oregon after the, the way the linebackers played this year and you just want a guy who's dependable, who can run, and who can get to the right spot, then that's what he's going to do. He's going to get to the right spot. He's going to make the routine play, and he's going to fight through contact and, and, and take care of his job, right? He's going to do his 111th. Um, I don't think he's going to be a guy that's like a super explosive playmaker who's just all over the place making every play but when you're talking about guys that are filling out a rotation, giving depth and then especially on third down giving you versatility with guy with extra speed on the field, I think he's exactly what you want. I think that's what the Oregon coaches saw when they turned on the film of him.
0: Gotcha. And you know, I'm going to trust them and I'm going to trust you know I'm going to trust your judgment too on this and and I, I I always find it funny when fans are like, "Ah, you know, they're looking at a rating and they get either mad uh, you know mad about somebody right whether it's a prep kid or a, or a transfer kid and i'm like what do i know like I, I i mean i don't i don't i don't evaluate film professionally and a lot of times fans like i i'll tell you what i've never watched a down of this kid play not a down i don't know anything about how he can actually play um so i just got to take a wait and see stance and
1: yeah and uh, he's getting done dirty by 247 they have him listed at six one one ninety five, which is probably what he was coming out of high school he, The system I have has updated weights from everyone's rosters, and he was six one two twenty five last year, so he's definitely not as small as they have him listed at.
0: (laughs) So Uh, more a more ideal you know kind of size for for. Yeah, I mean
1: he just yeah he's just a good leverage player. Like he's just gonna be in the right spot. And again, our linebackers were very rarely in the right spot last
0: year. Gotcha. Let's move over. We talked about Taishin, but let's cover the the other two DBs one more time. So obviously uh being someone who, who we look to probably slide right into that starting nickelback spot, which was one a, a, a spot that isn't really a clear starter on the roster before he before him transferring over. So that seems like a lock. And then obviously you know Oregon earlier got the transfer commitments of Trayshawn Holden. I'm sorry, not Trayshawn Holden, like Kyrie Jackson, cornerback out of Alabama, and of course Evan Williams, Bennett's brother, a safety out of Fresno State. You know where do you see them in the in the depth chart?
1: yeah um, Kyrie Jackson's the interesting one, right like like I, w- I was having a conversation with somebody yesterday who was talking about like his PFF grades and stuff and it's like well PFF is giving a binary win loss grade. like when I watch film I want I'm watching for more nuanced stuff like I, I don't really care like like for instance, like when Kyrie Jackson got the bulk of his his run this year in a game against Texas where he was isolated in man coverage, or not always man coverage, but sometimes quarters, but he had to carry him deep against Xavier Worthy, who's one of the fastest, if not the fastest receiver in college football, right? Um, and to, Kyrie Jackson gave up two catches, I believe, and one of them was a touchdown. The the thing that I'm seeing with Jackson, though, is he's a 6'3 guy who's long levered, who has the foot fire to change directions and stay with him. Like, he wasn't getting just toasted on these plays. He made some mistakes, um but the athletic talent is there and it's present and even against really good players it shows and so when you're dealing with a guy because he because of some trouble and some injuries who played a reduced sample size of snaps makes it a little tougher to evaluate him um but the athletic talent just kind of oozes off of him he's just he's a 6'3" guy that moves like a 5'10" guy and he's got great length and he's very physical in the screen game and he, Plays off blocks well and sets the edge well at, as a corner, um, and I don't know if he starts. I th- I have a suspicion that he will because I think he's the kind of guy that could just have an awesome off season and have that light bulb come on and be a really really good player next year. Because um, he was e flashed that ability this year in his limited sample at Alabama. I mean he played he played Xavier Worthy very very competitively, um, which is was not particularly common now where they didn't always catch the ball um, and Quinn Ewers didn't always throw an accurate pass, but in terms of like, just like staying in phase and, and especially in transition against someone who's that fast um, and explosive is a, that's a really impressive thing for a long corner. So I'm excited about Jackson. I think he ultimately will end up starting um, at one of the corner spots. And I think he's going to be a good player um, and someone that that's very dependable for Oregon um, with Evan Williams he, he fits at, at one of the safety spots. I would assume they play him with Brian Addison, um, and I'm not exactly sure how they distinguish the two safety spots because I saw all three guys line up – or the three guys in the rotation last year line up at both spots. Um, and then I, we even saw Bennett Williams slide back and play their occasion when we played more base. But Evan Williams, like his brother, is like a really, really good tackler, and he's a physical player. But he's a better athlete. He's just more mobile. He's more fluid. He's got better range. He has an actual deep safety skill set, which is something that we've talked about ad nauseum on this this podcast. Oregon really missing and not having a ton of. Uh, but I think Evan's a great player. Like I, I think that's a major upgrade. I think he's a surefire starter next to Brian Addison at safety. And I think it makes us substantially better in coverage. Um, and I also think he's a better tackler than the other guys we have.
0: All right. Uh, so there you go. We've kind of run down the 10 transfers and, and we'll see if there's any more coming out of spring. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there is, but, you know, it's a long time between now and then. So we'll see I think, that they're, done. think like they're done. You think they're done for the year? They, they, like
1: a, they addressed every need. Yeah. They had like the, when you look at the list of needs, it's like, all right, well, beyond Bassett and Brown, we don't really know what we have at linebacker. Like, we got two redshirt freshmen, and we've got one true freshman and Jerry Mixon coming in. It's like, all right, take two linebackers. They brought in Jacobs and on. Like, line uh, on the offensive line, they've got plenty of bodies with this incoming class. They just needed some experience to kind of gap fill for a year or two. And so they brought in Angle out and they brought in uh, Cornelius. Um, we needed, we needed an edge player with experience and and physical talent. They brought that in with Birch. They needed help in the defensive backfield at corner safety and nickel to hit all three. All three are probably guys that are going to start. There's no need at this point to take more transfers in the defensive backfield linebacker or edge. Your defensive line is locked and loaded. Wasn't even really a spot that you needed to even look at unless there was a really elite player. Um, offensively they took two receivers they don't need any running backs they they could take a tight end if there was a good tight end in the portal um, but I think that they're going to be comfortable with what they have and just play more 11 personnel
0: yeah and I, I'm not opposed to playing more 11 personnel personally I, I guess I would say if if there's some sort of like can't you know if you get wind of some sort of like can't refuse player, you know, planning on hitting the portal, you know, come springtime, then obviously you're going to want to like get involved in that if that's, if they're, you know, they're interested in you. So, but you're, kind of not, looking, you're not, you're not
1: going to the portal at this point you're not fishing. You're for a need. Like, you don't have yeah. a need. Like, it's like, they don't have like, think of like the, like, I, again, I work in real estate. So I think of like the portal, like the MLS, like we could do filters based on, all right, this client needs this. Well, like, Oregon needed things and they got them. And they addressed all their needs with good players who can start. Now, if if like a really talented player that they have a history of recruiting, it's the portal that they maybe weren't expecting. Who's a younger guy with a lot of eligibility at any spot? Go get him. Like I'm totally. But in terms of like, Oregon has nothing left that they absolutely are desperate for um, in the portal
0: for the spring for the spring portal. Yeah, no, I, I I think that makes sense. I think that makes sense. So. Um, yeah we, we had a kind of interesting conversation before we started recording here where we were kind of talking about 247 primarily but you know what extended to on three and the other services and kind of how they're doing transfer portal ratings in particular and, and I'll start by saying it, it, it's a little bit interesting and they but they're both taking very different approaches so 247 is is grading is, is handling like transfer transfer portal, You know team rankings if you will similar to how they do high school rankings right it's a point system everybody gets a rating you know they add up the number of points and whatever team has the most points you know is first in the transfer portal rankings um i think the question comes into play is how are how are those ratings being established by the people that that, at 247 that that do ratings and then real quick before i get your input on this uh, you know conversely the way on three is doing it is more of a net so they're, they're kind of taking, like, here's the points of everybody you added through the portal, and we're subtracting out the points of everybody who left through the portal. I'm not a fan of that approach, I, I think, for reasons we can get into. But, you know, kind of your overall thoughts on, on how this is working out, what you'd like to see this evolve to. Obviously, it's new for everyone, but, you know, where should this evolve if, from a rankings or ratings perspective?
1: So I, I think transfer rankings are kind of useless, Like I think they're, I think they're extremely difficult to do. Um, Like the net thing that on three is doing makes no sense to me because every kid is leaving for different reasons, right? Some kids are leaving because they have opportunities to go make money in NIL um, and play at another school. Um, Some kids are leaving because they didn't live up to rankings or aren't very good players, um, and they're being processed out to make room for new additions. And so, using a net where you're not able to distinguish like what the factors were surrounding a player leaving or washing out or not making an impact. And then weighing that against the guys that are coming in that you also didn't do that for just, it seems like a completely useless exercise. Um, with two four seven, I just like, I just don't really trust their ability to, to rank these guys. Like, so here's the deal in high, high school recruiting rankings, in my opinion, are pretty easy. Like it should be at least like, you're not, you're not evaluating players on skill sets for the most part. In some cases you are, like a quarterback, uh, maybe when you're like distinguishing some of the top receivers against one another. But ultimately what you're looking for is you're looking for physical projectables. Like you're you're looking for guys with the size, the the height, weight, speed. You're looking with, for guys with the body bo- balance and body control and the instincts and, and and instincts. Like you're not evaluating like when I watch like a high school offensive lineman like, I, I'm going to take note of what he looks like um, from, a, from a technical standpoint. But, like, I, I know that these kids all suck technically coming out of high school in the offensive line with very, very rare exceptions. Like, there's some kids that come out with better technical, um, technical prowess than other guys. But for the most part, these kids are all blank slates that are going to need tons of coaching and need to learn how to play football with their hands, learn how to play with good bend, learn how to knock it out over their toes and lean and lunge at guys and learn how to anchor like there's just a lot that needs to be learned technically when you're dealing with high school kids it's it's about projectable athletic traits when you're dealing with college kids because their eligibility clock is substantially less it you're dealing with you're also evaluating skill set and technical uh, proficiency and i don't trust the evaluators at 24 7 to get that right for 1500 kids that hit the portal every year I just don't. Yeah, because
0: they haven't been that – that hasn't been their job, right? Their <laughs> job is to evaluate high school players, and now they're being asked to evaluate these transfer well, kids, Who and it's actually a very different uh, – well, it It's a, a multi –
1: yeah. yeah. Sorry, I, I'm, I'm interrupting you because I'm like, I got it on the tip of my tongue here. But like it's a multifaceted problem. Problem number one is you don't have the manpower to actually – because like when I evaluate a high school kid, like I'm just being honest with everybody here. Like I'll, I'll try to watch and dig up like a full game. But for the most part, like we're just going off highlights, because if you read my evals on kids that are coming out of high school, it's almost entirely based around what their physical attributes and projectable traits are. It's not I'm not like, oh, like, 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 for instance, a guy like Kyler Casper, who's got an NFL dad who's been very clearly coached to be a good r- route runner and understands like with with understands to a more advanced level than is typical. I'm going to point out that he does this in, as a route runner, blah, blah, blah but really like the most important piece is what are the raw school skill sets that are going to get developed by the strength and conditioning and the on-field staff right like that that part that's that's a pretty easy thing to do like i think that most everybody can watch film and have a general idea of what a guy's physical traits are and and then slap a grade on it and that's why i don't i don't get into these arguments about micro grades like oh well our guy was ranked fourth and your guy was ranked eighth. Like that doesn't matter to me. I care about the macro. Like I want more yeah. higher rated kids with better physical projectable talent than, than lower rated kids. And, and that's about as far as I care about, about these high school rankings. When I do an eval on any college kid, I am watching every single game that they have played at the college level. And I, a lot of times I will cherry pick games against the best competition. So, for instance, when I'm talking about Taishim Johnson, I'm watching him against LSU. I'm watching him against Alabama. I'm watching him in those types of games. I want to see what he looks like when he's when he's uh, put under duress by very talented players. And I have to at that point because he's been in college for two years now. I'm also evaluating the skill set or, or the technical proficiency that he has because he needs to be he needs to be at a certain level to contribute for us next year. Because we're not talking about him as a guy with good explosive traits who we hope to be a contributor two or three years down the line. We're talking about a transfer kid who's expected to step in and play day one. Right. Mm -hmm. And so one that takes substantially more time. Like I am really, really lucky that I have access to a system called telemetry, which allows me to watch all 22 on every player. I can filter it by play type, by coverage type, all kinds of things so that I can get through tape a lot faster. Um, I don't know if the guys at two, four, seven even would have access to that, but even if they did, like you're doing it on so many kids, these reports take substantially longer to write and these grades are harder to to deduce because there's so many more variables and you also have to have a more technical understanding of what the, of what the, what it's supposed to look like at a high level from a technical front, not just athletically. And so Mm -hmm. I don't take almost any stock into these transfer portal rankings um because i just i don't think that they're putting in the time to evaluate every kid and to possibly have an idea of where player x rates against player z right like i the reason i keep saying a johnny cornelius is the best tackle in the portal because when 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 the portal opened and all these guys started jumping in i started seeing everyone get offers i was just watching guys and I thought that he, he was the best guy I watched. And so that's my opinion. That's not 24 sevens opinion. I don't really care. I don't even know who's watching the film for two four seven. So that's, that's my like super uh, wordy monologue on transfer portal rankings. I, I don't, I don't think that there's a good way to do it um, because there's just so many variables at play. And I think that you really have to watch a lot of tape um, and not just watch tape and be able to identify physical traits, but watch tape and be able to connect those physical traits to the technical side of football, because you're dealing with guys with limited eligibility remaining.
0: Yeah. I, I, I can't disagree with anything you said. You know, I think, I think the net going back to the net thing, I, I think it's silly for, because the, you know, the way on three does it, it's it, the net that is subtracting out for outgoing portal players is what their high school rating was. Well, they, what if they've been in the program, two, three, four, five years, and they've done, you know, they, and I'm not talking just about Oregon, any program, right. And they've done like nothing or next to nothing. Like that's almost always the case. Right. Right. And if you look at Oregon's class, it's, it's outside of two or three guys that is the case. Like everyone else who transferred out either didn't play at all or played at a very limited level or played poorly. And so like, they're not a, they're not a 0.95. I'm sorry. Like you're not losing that. You're losing a guy who didn't play or didn't play well.
1: Yeah, and and that here's here's the other piece of this, right? You're not, you're not, you're you're you should be weighing that scholarship against the the replacement of, for that They're, scholarship. Yes, you're not. You shouldn't be. You shouldn't be weighing the the loss against the incoming transfers because in Oregon's case, I think what we have like twenty, there's like twenty two transfers actually. I think there's a few more that haven't been public yet. Um, so we're talking like twenty four. Let's just say twenty four ish transfers. And you have 10 guys coming in. Of course, it's going to be a negative net, especially in the case of Oregon, because you have some good players coming up a level like Johnny Cornelius, like Tez Johnson, like Evan Williams, who weren't guys who were rated highly coming out of high school, but were guys that have been extremely productive players and are better players than the guys that are leaving. Um, what you should be doing is weighing it against like, okay, uh, Isaiah Crocker leaves. Well, Jurion Dickey is coming in in that spot. That's, that's the scholarship being reallotted. So what, what's the net on that? You're losing a a sixth year player who has like eight catches in garbage time in his entire career against the top 10 player in the entire country, regardless of position. Um, And so like when you, when you net these things out again, it's, there's no simple way to do it, which is why it won't be done in this way. Uh, They're just doing a broad strokes. Like this is, I don't know. They're, they're yeah, doing, that, they're, they're yeah. producing a, a rating to produce a rating, not to actually accurately depict the situation and what's going on. And I think that that's just a, like a wasted, like waste of resources and a completely useless exercise.
0: Yeah. And I, I think it's just, they're trying to fill a fan desire. Right. So they're, you know, it's, it's all about generating buzz and clicks and conversation. Right. So producing and, and I honestly, like I don't even have necessarily an issue with, okay, produce a rating for, you know, produce a transfer rating for every player if you want. That's fine. I think the challenge comes into be now when you start like adding them up and like rank saying this team had a better portal hall than that team. I think that's where you start getting into kind of a, a slippery a slippery slope, right? Because again, you're ignoring, like you said, like, okay, if, you know, in Oregon's case, yeah, there's 24 guys leaving and 10 guys coming in. But even just on productivity alone, the productivity last season of the 10 guys coming in it's triple quadruple, like five times as much as the productivity of the 24 guys who, who are leaving. Like, so you have to look at it that way. And, and and not just like points from a, you know, from what somebody's theoretical potential was four years ago that they didn't fulfill.
1: Yeah, I agree. I could not agree more. It's just, and there's no way, there's no good way to quantify it. Like high school, High school – and again, I'm going to repeat this, and it's going to be redundant to anybody that listens to this podcast with any regularity, or even if this is the first podcast that you've listened to. Like Recruiting rankings matter on a macro level because you need to get a certain amount of high-level players to field a roster that's talented enough athletically to compete at a high level, which is why I was talking about with high school ratings, why it's easier. You're, you're, you're evaluating teams – based or you're evaluating players coming out of high school based on their, their, their peer athlete, raw athletic talent. Right. And so the more guys like that you have on your team, the more of them that are going to hit and be good players. And when you have lots of guys like that and hit and be good players, you have these teams that are winning national titles, right? Yeah. You've yeah. Got- I mean the hit
0: rate, even at, even at the best programs, the hit rate on players is, you know, 60%, maybe at the high end, right? Well, would you yeah. rather hit on 60% of guys who are all rated 0. 0.92 or higher or would you rather hit on sixty percent of guys who are rated, you know, point eight eight?
1: And um, that's not to and, say and you want to brag guy...
0: about like the one or two guys that that outstrip their rating, right? Yeah, exactly. And like that's not to say that they don't
1: screw up on their rankings, which is why like they do all the time. I disagree with them all the in time. In both directions, yeah, yeah, in both directions. I think they've I think they've overrated Oregon commits. I think they've underrated Oregon commits. But it, in the macro, it ends up kind of evening out, right? And so the the my point with all of that is to say is that that recruiting rankings matter in the context of getting as many high level talents as possible is what is required to win a national title. That does not mean that taking a three high three-star guy like Jaden Moore, who has, in my opinion, a lot of upside and a lot of juice yet to squeeze out of his frame and his athletic talent is a bad thing. Like, I think you should take, take guys like that in your class. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade Jaden Moore for a, i can't even i can't think of a player off the top of my head but like a guy who's like a 0.894 star like who who doesn't have the same physical who doesn't fit the profile in the same way um and so it's just a matter of like a, a understanding that it's an imperfect science but it's it's a numbers-based system where high, high volumes of of talent of highly regarded talent means that you're going to hit on higher volumes of highly regarded talent. Whereas if you only get one or two of those guys in a class, when you go 50% on two of them, then you're just woefully short of what's necessary. Even if you out-evaluate your your class ranking um, from from a raw athletic measurable stance, even if you out-evaluate it, you're not going to be in the neighborhood of the teams that are taking 25 to 30 kids every year that are just dripping with athletic talent and all they need to do is be developed and, and be put in a system where they can succeed. And in some and, of these cases, the kids don't do their part of it and they don't hit because of that. Maybe you make a mistake and a guy's just too stiff to be a good edge rusher It um, uh, gets too big. Maybe like, there's all kinds of variables at play, but just understanding that it's a pure volume and numbers based game.
0: Yeah. I mean, it cannot be, I mean, this isn't even debatable anymore, even though some people, I don't know why still try to debate it, but. You cannot compete for a national title if you don't have a baseline level of high-end talent. I mean, that's just on the macro level, right? On the aggregate. Like, it's just, it's, it's not even, and, and look, look at this year's national championship game as, like, the proof of that. I mean, it was it was a shellacking, right? Because you had one team who had the most talented roster in the country, and you had another team and this is no knock on TCU, right? You had another team who had like 15 blue chips on their entire roster and several of them didn't even play. And look, TCU did a great job of getting to where they were, you know, getting into that game and so no knock on them. But the reality is, is they didn't come close to winning a national title and they won't and no, neither will any other school that has 15 blue chips and doesn't have the requisite level of athletic talent
1: yeah and like here's the deal too like there's teams that have the the requisite level of blue chip talent that don't do it either and there's yeah. lots of reason why reasons why that is maybe they just loaded up on guys because they were like low, lowly ranked four stars so that their blue chip ratio would look good but they, they weren't actually good players maybe they were all guys that no one really was pushing for because they because the 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 programs actually like here's the deal the schools aren't looking at the rankings some some coaches care some don't like for instance like I'm not going to get into that. It doesn't matter. Some some coaches do care and some coaches will take guys to puff classes. I think that we have a, a very obvious case of that in regards to our previous head coach um, who would take guys like Jonah Miller, like just a single, like a couple players out who like were very clearly never going to contribute. But they, you took him because he was a four star. 4 four-star, major blue chip ratio, like good, blah 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 blah, like that. Like that is not a useful exercise, and so good programs aren't doing that. And so what you're really finding in a lot of cases is like, holy crap, it's close to signing day, and player X is being pursued super hot, hot by LSU, Ohio State, Alabama, and Georgia. It's like, wow, yeah, he if 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 these schools with, with late in the late in the in the period think this guy's got projectable traits we probably have a misranked because those are schools that get to pick players just as much as they have to recruit them yeah um and so yeah it's just it's important like recruiting is not black and white it's not it's it's not it's complicated and it's simple you just got to understand some of the nuances of it to to be able to really extract the value of these of these rankings um and, and, and we think, have, and
0: we haven't even touched on scheme fit,
1: right? <laughs> yeah, so, and like let's and not that, go there. But and that matters it. too. And like yeah. some places do better job with talent than other places. Like Texas AM, for example, was much more talented offensively than they put on the field. Oregon under Mario Cristobal was much more talented offensively than we put on the field in terms of production. So like that coaching is a, is certainly a factor in all of this. But it doesn't like you can have the best damn coach in the world. Eventually you're gonna play somebody else who's well coached who just has better players. Like if if you're like if you're actually a team that wants to compete for a national title, like when you get to the playoff and you go up against Kirby Smart and his team of black polos of fifty coaches, analysts, and and support staffers. They're going to be more prepared or just the, like, your best case scenario is you, is you guys are going to be evenly prepared, except Georgia and Kirby Smart is also rolling in there with the better roster than you have. Right. So yeah. you got to like you can't you can't when you start playing good teams, being a good coach is great, but you have to have good players. Um, and that's why recruiting matters.
0: Yeah, and it's the difference of whether your goal is, you know, to compete for a conference title or your goal is to compete for a national title. We had Chip Kelly could coach circles around Gene Chizik, but they
1: had Cam Newton and Nick Fairley, and we didn't.
0: Yeah, and and we had a couple of a uh, couple of unfortunate uh, things go our way, break against us in that game. No, too. no, but I'm and just yeah, I'm just remains. using that
1: as an example. Yeah. We we couldn't yeah. we couldn't block. Nick Fairley to save our lives. Right. And cam cam Newton is just a better player than Darren Thomas is. Like you swap court. It, it, like if you take cam Newton and Nick Fairley off that team, they're probably a 500 team. Yep. <laughs> right. <laughs> so yep. like, it, it, like talent matters. And it, and so you just got to like, and, and the way that Oregon is managing the roster, I know this isn't on topic anymore is important to understand. Like Oregon cannot allow guys who are third or fourth year players who have been in the program, who have been given opportunities to develop, but aren't in positions either because they were misevaluated and don't have the talent, um, don't have the work ethic, don't have the football intelligence, whatever the variable is that is missing from them for them to be contributing players, you can't allow those guys to stick around and sit on the roster, which is why you're seeing so many guys leaving right now. It's to make room for that next batch of talented players so that you can continue to get your hit rate up and, and give yourself at bats with these, with, with athletic player with, with your talent.
0: With yeah. Athletic... I mean, if you can, if you can bring in 25 to 30 new players every year, like that's ideal, right. Which means yeah. you have to have that attrition because that, you know, and, you know, outside of offensive line and defensive line, you know, if you're, if you're in the program for two full years and you're still on the scout team, you probably need to be gone unless you're, you know, some sort of special teams, you know, superstar, and, um, and which is most people, is, they're not going to be that, right? Yeah, so, and
1: over time, it's going to change too, right? Like, like yeah, you're not going to have down. the type of turnover that Oregon had this year, next year. It's just not going to, there's just not going to be enough fat on the roster left to trim at that point, right? Like, you're going to start with, with the COVID guys, like, this is the last year, this is the last hurrah of guys with COVID eligibility, I believe. Um,
0: and I so think technically there's one more year, but yeah, it's, it's getting down to be, it's such, such a smaller percentage of the roster where it's, yeah. it becomes more, more insignificant. Yeah.
1: Well, for Oregon, it's going to be this year because yeah, everyone sure. else has already transferred out. So yeah, or um, well,
0: exhaust your eligibility this year. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. And so like your, your class separation will get a little cleaner. Cause that was, that was a g- giant disaster as well, which caused attrition rates to, to jump because there was just like, you were shooting, you were shooting into the dark in 2021 you couldn't really get, you couldn't get in front of these guys and evaluate them in person. Couldn't bring them on campus to measure them. Like there, it was, it was really difficult for these coaches to make evaluations in 2021, which is why I think you've seen that class kind of fall apart and scatter and not be as good as it looked on paper. Um, yeah. And, and so just understanding that like, as Lanning develops his program, if things go well, there will always be attrition, but it won't look like this every year.
0: No, I would think something like 10 to 15, you know, 10 to 15 a year, yep. maybe on the lower side of that, you know, more, more, most years. And then, you know, you get a little bit on the higher side every, every few years or so if, you know, switching. Yeah, go
1: ahead. If it's going right, you'll look like what, again, I'm not saying Oregon's Alabama or Georgia. I'm just using them as an example here. Like for, Al, for Alabama and Georgia, I mean, Alabama had a ton this year. So this might not even be a great example, but like, if you have more, if your attrition is primarily
0: guys declaring for the draft, that's where you want to be. Yes. Right. Yeah, and Oregon has a long way to go to get there. We, yeah, you know, a long, we long haven't, ways. We haven't. That's the one thing we haven't done. You know, a great job with. You know, even though we've had these, you know, like, what this will be our fifth or sixth year leading the Pac-12 in recruiting, but we haven't really turned that into early entry NFL draft guys. I mean, and I think top that's guys the next draft. step you want. To, yeah, like, oh, yeah. Well, there's been some. I'm not. I'm just saying, like, not to anywhere near the level that would equate to the recruiting rankings we've held.
1: Yeah. I, I would agree with, I would agree with you on that. Um, and some of that was like COVID spreading things out and guys just yeah. like staying and staying and staying. Like I think next year will be a pretty strong uh, draft class for Oregon, but it's, yeah, I, I agree with you hundred percent on that. Um, but also comes down to like having some, having head coach continuity, letting them get his guys in, get systems installed and get cooking. Like you gotta, gotta, you gotta be good. You gotta have good players and,
0: so, yeah, this will be a, this will be a pivotal year for Oregon, you know, kind of seeing how this all played roster management plays out how this kind of happens and then coaching and, and development and how everything kind of clicks into place, you know, you know, at the end of as we get through year two, and then start looking into year three, so it'll be a good topic to revisit from an Oregon perspective, you know, roster management and development, you know, a a year from now, I think. One more thing I wanted to get your thoughts on from a kind of ranking system, and particularly in regards to 247, they made two two key changes to the way they do their high school rankings this year. That one was somewhat publicized, the other one wasn't really publicized at all, but they're both interesting to me. I agree with one of them. I don't necessarily agree with the other one, and I'll get to that. So the first one is they, separated their recruiting. That's right. So they kind of divided their staff and their analysts into two groups, right? Whereas before they were they kind of people filled both roles. But basically, they said, Okay, the people that actually cover recruiting from a like talking to coaches, talking to players, making crystal ball predictions, trying to figure out getting intelligence and figuring out who's going where, who likes who, that is now one side of their house. And, but they that side of the house no longer is involved in creating rankings or ratings. And the other side of the house is the, the team that actually just watches film, rates players, ranks players, and, and all that. And, and of course they get, in, they get information and intelligence from the people covering recruiting, but actually really, I think this change is long overdue. And I think it's really smart on their part to separate these two functions. Yeah. Any thoughts on that one?
1: Yeah, because being a good networker doesn't mean you can evaluate talent.
0: Yeah, and I think it also creates potential bias, right? And everyone has bias, right? And so when you know somebody or know a kid or you're, you know, in good with him and his family and you like them, or maybe their school has, you have a good relationship with the school, whether that be a college or a high school, right? You're, you maybe be, you know, have this unconscious bias in some cases, or maybe kind of indirect pressure in other cases to, to, you know, cook the books a little bit. And I'm not saying anybody's like ill-intentioned, but that's just a natural part of human nature. Yeah, I agree. The other change they made, which has been less publicized, and I just actually heard about it last night on the 247 recruiting podcast, which is a good listen. But, you know, they've always, you know, the way 247 has always done their their five star rankings is they've always had 32 five stars, and it's to mimic the first round of the NFL draft, right? There's 32 first round back draft picks. We're going to have 32 five stars because we're projecting. This is also a key, right? The way their rankings, the way they do their ratings, sorry, their player ratings is based on their NFL potential and not their college potential which i fundamentally don't agree with but i understand why they do that um and so that so that's the point of their five-star rankings is to mimic like these are the 32 guys who we think are the most likely first round picks you know three to four years down the road when they enter the nfl draft but the change they made this year is they've actually pegged that to positional to positional value in the nfl draft now so it, it, they, they, I think they've analyzed like four, the, like the trailing four or five seasons of NFL draft picks, and they've said, okay, on average, there's three quarterbacks that go in the first round, so we're, we we can have three five star quarterbacks, and there's four corners, so we can have four corners, and and but, they kind of, oh god, okay, yeah, th- this is what they're doing now. I don't agree with it at all. But I that's think that's the, dumb. That's like the even, approach they're taking.
1: Even if you look draft to draft, like there was what one quarterback drafted the first round last year, Kenny Pickett, I think it was the only one um like it, draft class to draft class the distribution changes now the value positions will always be the value positions quarterback like, who play whoever's playing quarterback whoever the quarterback is throwing to whoever's protecting the quarterback whoever's rushing the quarterback and whoever's covering like right like corner edge quarterback receiver tackle those are the five most valuable positions in football yeah. um and they will be they will continue to be so because football is a passing game and the rules are set uh, to favor the thro- the and pat- throw game. Um, but like I just think that's dumb because every class is going to have different value. Like what if there's a class like there's been classes before where it was like oh this is a like this is a pretty crappy quarterback class. Like why would we artificially inflate guys rankings because they play the position because we just say we have to have three, five-star
0: quarterbacks. Like that's dumb. Um, They may be giving themselves some wiggle room year to year, but that's the benchmark they're targeting. Right. Yeah. I I don't,
1: I just don't like that at all. I just think like, again, I I'm not somebody that cares very much about micro rankings. Like being, being the 32nd ranked player versus the 60th ranked player doesn't really matter a lot to me. Um, but if it did, or if I was involved in the process, I would think that's really dumb. Like,
0: well, yeah, it, and I think I think to me it, it it's creating this kind of false differentiation at the top of the rankings, right? Because okay, now you've you've pushed a guy down in the rankings and therefore ratings, right? Because you you can't have them as and they talked a lot about this on their podcast at the running back position. They 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 only had room for two five stars, so they had to push one out, and it wasn't because he wasn't better than. You know, uh, a player at another position. It was because we can't have a third running back. And but that's so just dumb. Like, because like, I know so run, now running you're back lowering is his more,
1: rating. Yeah. Running back is an inherently more valuable position at the at the college level than is at the NFL level. That, just because well, that NFL, goes back to
0: my fundamental difference with I, I disagree. They're different support. It's right? And that's yeah. my biggest problem with two four seven. Is why are why are we purporting this to be a rankings about college potential when we're actually creating the grades based on NFL potential. Like there are, there are great college players who are never going to be NFL players.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Like like I don't, I I don't see the value in that. Like whatever 30, if you don't have 32 five stars to reflect how many picks there are in the first round, like whatever, that's cute. Um, But like, to me, like there in a lot of cases, I think running back is a more valuable position at the college level where the overall skill level is lower, the overall talent of the people trying to tackle the guy is lower than there is in the NFL. Like there are really, really good dominant productive college backs who are going to be middle to late round picks in the NFL draft because the NFL, like their skill sets are just less valuable. It's a dime a dozen. Whereas like having a guy like that in college makes a huge difference. Um, And so I don't know. I I don't really care. I think it's dumb, but I whatever.
0: Yeah, I kind of I kind of go back, and because of this and and other reasons is why well, I kind of like looking at players and buckets, right? Like top, are you top fifty? Are you top hundred? Are you top one fifty? Right, and and then you know whatever. In if you're forty seven versus thirty two, because you know you can't can't have another five star. Like whatever, it's you know you're all in the same realm, right? Which is kind of where. I think it matters. Like what's your overall aggregate average? Anyway, I think we beat this topic to death. Uh, um, uh, You know, Justin and I had a little bit of time to talk on our last episode about the 2023 football schedule for the Pac-12, which was released uh, a week before last. We haven't had a chance to hear your thoughts on it yet. So I'd kind of love to hear from you, QB, on on how you like the schedule overall for the conference, as well as from an Oregon perspective.
1: Yeah, so I, I'm i going to be honest with you. I haven't had time to look at everybody's schedule, um, but just looking at Oregon's schedule, I think it's very favorable. Um, like, you have back-to-back road games, but they're separated by a bye week. Um, just like from a structural standpoint, we'll start there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Your bye week isn't dead center in the season, but, I mean, it's as close. I mean, you're one game off of dead center. You play five games bye week, and then you play seven. Like, um, the only thing that would be better is if you had one more week prior to the bye but um, I think that the way that it lays out, like you, you're never playing two of the better teams in the league back to back. I like you have Washington, and then you have you have Washington State, then you have Utah, then it's separated by Cal, and then you play USC, and then you have the ASU buffer before you play Oregon State, right? So like you're not playing like this crazy stretch in October or November where you're playing four really tough teams in a row, uh, which I think is just kind of how the balance of power in the Pac-12 is going to land in 23. But that's, that's beneficial. Um, and I think that playing the, uh, playing a lot of your games in November at home is really beneficial. Like Oregon has four November games and you're only playing on the road once. And it's, it's going to be in great weather and on November 18th at, Ar- at Arizona state. So like from a, like, all right, November is the toughest month in college football. Like, you're, you're going to be banged up. You're going to have injuries. Um, you're going to be dealing with stuff. Well, like, you know what's really helpful in the month of November? Playing at home. Um, and then your one-away game is going to be against a team that doesn't have a lot of depth and good weather um, where you have a lot of fans. Uh, but then on a more granular level, like game by game, like, I just – I like this schedule. I like Oregon to start 5-0. and um, You have Portland State, which, I mean, come on. At Texas Tech, which I think will be a uh, like that's not a game that you just walk through. Like they're definitely a respectable. Yeah, it'll be a competitive program. game. Yeah. yeah, it'll be it'll be it'll be somewhat competitive, but like for on a talent standpoint, Oregon should be able to beat them pretty handily. Hawaii is bad, and they're like they're rebuilding. Um, Colorado, like I know, there's been a lot of hype. I know we're going to talk about Colorado later in the show. I, I, yeah, they're coming to Odson. That's going to be a bloodbath. Um, and then Stanford, which I think is probably going to replace Colorado as the worst team in the conference this year, uh, on the road before the bye week, right? And then, so I think there's a if Oregon handles its business, it's going to be favored in all five of those games. Oregon should be five and zero going into the bye week, and then both Washington and Oregon have a bye week ahead of that big game um, in Seattle. And I think that's one that everybody in the conference, everybody in Seattle, Eugene, and on the West Coast, is going to have circled as a as a big time game and. Um, I, I like what Oregon's done this offseason more than I like what Washington's done in terms of talent acquisition and and changing the rosters. Um, yeah. and I thought yeah. I thought we were the better team this year. So uh, I think that's a winnable game. Washington State at home. I know we, we've we had our struggles with Washington State over the years. Um, I don't know where they turn at quarterback now uh, with Cam Ward declaring for the NFL draft. It's kind of a weird late spot to be sifting through the portal for a quarterback. Wait, he did?
0: Yeah. He must have missed that. Yep, he declared. Okay. Good so,
1: luck. Yeah. So I don't know what they're going to do at quarterback. They lost a ton on defense. All of their good linebackers have either scattered for the NFL or hit the portal and transferred to other places. Um, I really like Jake Dickert. I think he's a good coach. And I think that his new offensive coordinator is better than the one he lost. But I just don't know like where the players are coming from for them to be good. And yeah. it's a home game. Um, Utah at Rice Eccles is going to be tough. Like that's a really tough place to play. Um, I'm sure they'll be doing a tribute uniform and it'll be a blackout and all that stuff. And so it's also Halloween weekend. So that's going to be a really tricky environment to go in and win. Um, And then you got the Colorado, the Cal game at home. So come home and play a team that's lost all of its best players to the portal, except for uh, they did add a few guys like Byron Cardwell. Horrible offensive line. We'll see what the new offensive coordinator can do behind that group. And we'll just kind of, it'll be really interesting to monitor them this year. But I think that Justin Wilcox seat might be actually heating up at this point, if he doesn't have a good season. Um, and then the USC game at home, no need to talk about it. Like in, in any other words, than this is the biggest home game of the season, November 11th. Um, it's going to have a lot of conference title implications. Um, and then you got the the road game at Arizona State. I think that's going to be an interesting one, just because of the Dillingham landing dynamic. But I think that I, I I think that they've actually done a really good job in the portal. But by that point in the season, with as limited of depth as they're going to have, it could be pretty rough for them. Um, and then you got Oregon State at home to finish. And so I I look at this I look at this schedule, and I think if you you, you should start five and zero going into the bye week, right? And so what do you do over that last seven? I would be very disappointed if Oregon went worse than five and two. I think six and one is on the table. And I think, frankly, I think seven and oh could be on the table. It's all going to depend on injuries and health. And um, uh, can you, what what is Bo Nix's health looking like down the stretch? Uh, Because if he's healthy and our team health overall is pretty good, there's not a team on the schedule I don't think we can beat. And I think we're going to be favored in possibly every game.
0: Yeah, I kind of look at that middle of the section, right? You've got at Washington and then the, the Washington State game at home and then at Utah. So those two games are the key to me, at Washington, at Utah. I think you have to split those, right? At, at worst, right? you got yeah. to get at least one of them. If you go 0-2 in those, then that makes the rest of your schedule. You have to win the rest of the, your games. And yeah. And, and that might be a tall order. I, I think that's the key. Do they split those games at least, or do they, or do they go, you know, potentially two and oh or zero and two. And I think that's the key to the success of Oregon season right there, that three week stretch. Um, I think yeah. you, know, you mentioned this earlier on the, the, you know, the kind of wrapping the season three out of four at home. and And I agree with that. Go ahead.
1: No, I agree. I was just, what I was going to say is that like USC, Utah and Washington are the games that are going to dictate the success of the season. If you lose all three of those games, I don't care if you win everything Season's else, it's not, a, it's not a good season. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you win two out of the three, it's a great season. You win all three, fantastic season. You win one out of the three, like, yeah, you're, going, you're probably going 10 and two, uh, but that's not, I don't think that's, I don't think that's good enough,
0: frankly. I don't think that just beating one of those three teams is good enough. Um, I'm with you there. I think that. You know, I think you win. You win two out of three or better, and it's a successful season. Assuming you take care of business the rest of the way, like like you would expect. Um, and I'm not discounting the the Oregon State game. Like you know, although I will I say, I mean, say, I mean, I am, in the, I mean, I'm not trying to disrespect them, but I'm also going to. Oh, I am. I am absolutely that, disrespecting them. That's a game that Oregon will not will not lose. I this want year. this
1: on the record now for when it happens. We are going to absolutely destroy them in Austin next year.
0: I, I completely they agree.
1: are they are losing so much on defense that and i understand that they might get some better quarterback play i don't know who on god's green earth dju is going to be throwing to um but like have let me pull this up really quick have they taken anyone in the portal at receiver
0: i don't know i, I haven't looked myself either while you're pulling that up i i will kind of recircle back to you talked about kind of the brutal November and Oregon suffered that last year, as we saw, you know, this year, you know, Washington and USC both kind of have that and we'll get into USC schedule in a little bit because I think they have a much bigger problem too, but Washington ends the season with at USC, Utah at home at Oregon state, and then the apple cup at home. And that's a, that's a pretty daunting four game stretch to end the year with two really tough road games. Yeah, wait, who's that? That's Washington. And what were the final so four? Their November is at USC, Utah at home, at Oregon State, Cougars at home.
1: Yeah, that's tough. Uh, although I think that both Oregon and Washington will take care of Oregon State. Again, Like I think DJ will be better in that system. But, again, I don't know who he's throwing to. Like, lindsay has gone. Gold uh, I, is gone.
0: I, I totally Harrison agree with Harrison
1: is gone. I totally agree with you, but Oregon Musgrave State is a gone. very
0: different team at home than they are on the road. Too. No, I agree,
1: and yeah. like I am sure that they're they're going to be well, they're going to be really well coached, and they're going to be a pain in the ass. But I just think that Oregon and Washington are going to be way too explosive offensively against a, a, re, a re-shaped Oregon State secondary um, and linebacker units. I mean, like I just yeah. I, don't, I the I only don't. thing
0: I the only thing I'll say I agree with you the only thing I'll say in the standpoint of Washington is that's the third game of the USC Utah Oregon State like, three in a row. Yeah. So it, it's a factor. I, I don't think they lose that game either. Well, I look uh, at this I'm, too
1: like I'm looking at Oregon State's transfers, right? Like they got Jermaine Terry, he's he's going to be a good tight end for them. We got Mason uh, from Cal, got Mason Tufaga who couldn't crack the lineup at Utah coming in at linebacker. I'd assume he's going to be fighting to replace the snaps of omar spates who went to lsu they've got a uh, uh omoto show an edge from wyoming who i frankly don't know anything about so maybe he's a really good player They got dju and then they've got grant stark who is a uh, very good group of five offensive line who's going to be stepping into the vacated right guard position i'd assume for oregon state um, with kipper being the only guy gone off that offensive line so like i expect oregon state to have a very very good run game uh, one of the best, if not the best, in the conference next year. I just don't know who DJU is going to throw to. I don't know how consistent he's going to be. And I have absolutely no clue how they're going to replace what they're losing the secondary with while not adding a single transfer. Like They must feel – they, A, either feel really, really good about what they brought in and what they've been re- developing behind the starters, which their snap distributions last year don't, like, confirm because they just played those starters at corner. They played – um, Cook and Austin, or not well, not Cook and Austin. They played Austin and Wright a t- like almost exclusively. Um, and I think losing Omar Spates is a much bigger loss than Oregon State fans are willing to to acknowledge at this point, given how recently he spurned them.
0: Yeah, I yeah, I don't disagree with any of that. I think I think to be fans who are like talking about like. You know, winning the conference this year, I think there's a little bit of
1: uh, oh, that's hilarious. They're gonna they're gonna fall back. Like yeah. it took it took so much. Again, they they probably should have beat USC, and I understand that, but they shouldn't have beat Oregon. They shouldn't have beat Stanford. Like they they really probably shouldn't have beat Fresno State. And who knows what that game against Boise looks like if the right quarterback and the and a different play the play caller they had after the midway point in the season were playing. Like I I just think that Oregon state had a lot of things go right for them last year um, to get to that, to that nine and three
0: mark. Yeah. With a, with a veteran roster that I've been building for years, right. That now has, has turned, turned over. So I, you know, we can get in, we'll obviously get into our in-depth team previews later on, you know, as we get through the spring and summer, but I I totally agree with you there. Uh, You know, flipping back to the schedule standpoint, you know, the one thing that's been talked about a lot, you know, nationally, and especially around the conference is USC, you know, having their bye the final week of the season, um, you know, so which is potentially advantage if they make it to the PAC 12 conference championship game. But before that, they got to play eight games in a row, um, including a stretch where they play at Notre Dame, Utah at home, at Cal Washington at home at Oregon, UCLA at home to end the year. Uh, so they've got a pretty good gauntlet there from mid October all yeah, the way through the end of the year.
1: Cause Notre Dame is going to be a much better football team this year. Um, you, I was just looking through what UCLA has acquired in the portal because again, I've been pretty unplugged from college football here for the last couple of weeks. Like they've they've done a good job, um, yeah. And I think UCLA is going to be a really good football team again. And yeah, I think Washington obviously is going to be. I mean, Washington's going to be the same team they were this year. They're going to be super explosive on offense. I have no clue if they're going to be able to stop the run. Maybe some guys develop. Uh, maybe having guys like Olafocio healthy for the whole year make a difference for them. But it's like they're going to be a very offensive driven team. And that's going to be, they're going to be tough to stop. And USC defensively was just abysmal. So um, really no other way to put it. Like they were, yeah. they, were the, they were the worst of a bunch of really bad defenses this year.
0: Uh, yeah, uh, completely. And, and I think that's the, you know, that's kind of the feature around the league, right? I think, you know, what we've talked about a lot, you know, from the difference to this coming year from last year is, you know, USC, Oregon, Washington and Utah all play each other this year. So that's going to, I think, have a more clean you know, determination of the of the two participants in the title game. But I also I wouldn't count UCLA out either, because like you said, they brought in a lot of talent and they also have an incredibly easy schedule. Uh, they don't play Washington and they don't play Oregon. Uh, so th- they're they're in a good spot. to to have another successful season, maybe duplicate this year, maybe even, maybe even win another game and maybe sneak their way into that Pac-12 title game. If, if kind of the other, the other three schools we talked about kind of all pick each other off enough.
1: Yeah. I think that the the Pac-12 is going to be the strongest it's been in quite a while this year. Um, This this season upcoming. I think it's going to be really fun to watch like in terms of like just the overall quality of the quarterbacks in the conference, like, got obviously you've got caleb williams and you got nicks and you got pennix you got cam rising and now you're adding an interesting player in dju and you've got jane delora at arizona who's like okay i don't know that i'd call him interesting but um schlee uh, or dante he, he, moore he, 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 at he, ucla you've got um you've got i don't even know who at, is going to be i would assume Plummer still at cal i don't know who stanford's going to have without mckee um they're gonna stink, so it doesn't matter. I mean, matter, those are the but, two
0: terrible teams, anyway. Yeah, so really Shadur
1: Sanders. You've got um, whatever Arizona State comes up, up with, whether it's Drew Pry- Drew Pine or the returning guy, or maybe they can snag someone like uh, Jaden Rashad out of the out of the. Um, like, is he the portal technically? I think or no, I think he's just N- an not attacker. in the portal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but you know what I mean. So it's going to be an interesting conference. I think that the top four teams are very, very clear going in. It's the same teams that it was this year. It's USC and Utah to the south with
0: UCLA as a dark horse, and it's Oregon and Washington in the north. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, uh, You know, one other thought I had on the schedule, QB, I think the conference, looking at it from a conference level, I think the conference did a a really good job of – a better job this year of kind of trying to make sure they have a marquee game every week that's gonna gonna get that twelve o'clock slot or that five o'clock kickoff slot on one of the networks. I think last year there was a lot of weeks where there just was there was lackluster choices. And then there was other weeks where there was three good choices. And and we saw that in that, you know, kind of a week eleven last year when Utah and Oregon ended up on, you know, kicking off at seven thirty because there wasn't any time slots available because, you know, USC and UCLA were playing, you know, prime time. And I think the conference, you know, if you look at it, they were smart about trying to capitalize on on Colorado and Deion Sanders hype early in the season by giving Colorado, you know, Oregon, Oregon at week four and USC in week five, right. To try to capitalize as much as possible on those eyeballs and interest early in the year before Colorado falls off and and interest kind of flips toward the, the playoff race. So I thought that was really smart. You know, I think if you look at, at week six, you've got, you know, uh, that's probably the one week where you don't have a real premium game. I think that's the only week of the season where I'd say that, you know, week seven, you've got Washington and Oregon, you know, week eight, you've got, um, Utah and USC, you know, week nine, you've got Oregon and Utah. Um, you know, you also have, uh, you know, then week 10, you've got Washington and USC week 11, you're back to having Oregon and USC and a week 12, you've got, uh, washington and oregon state or you've got ucla versus usc which obviously is always a premium game and then you know then you got rivalry week week 13 so there's a there's a there's a clear marquee like tv would want to put this on in a great time slot every single week except yeah
1: one. like it sucks that the conference is breaking down because it's actually finally quality um and i think that even the teams that aren't good right now like, like i wouldn't say that arizona state arizona colorado um Cal like I wouldn't say that those are like good teams or Washington State but like I think that they have competent coaching um and I think that they're going to trend in the right direction general generally and broadly I don't know about Cal as much but um like yeah
0: the Arizona schools and Colorado for sure and Washington State I think is just going to be steady right they're going to be steady in that seven to eight win range every year
1: yeah yeah and I think I think that their new offensive coordinator is going to be able to score a lot of points um, he's, he's a good coach. And so I think they upgraded an offensive coordinator despite losing someone to being a head coach. Uh, but I think Arizona State is going to get substantially more competitive. I think Colorado is going to get more competitive. Uh, and I think Arizona's already been on that path under Judd Fish. So uh, I think the conference is the strongest it's been since probably like 2014 or prior when there was like Oregon, USC, Stanford. Yeah, Washington was occasionally decent. Oregon State under Mike Riley was pretty solid. Like there was uh, Cal towards the end of the Tedford era. Like you had you uh, that was I think that was Leach that was already Leach Washington State like Rich Richrod Arizona this like there was a lot of the Pac twelve was probably at worst the third best conference in football at that point and I'm pretty sure going into this year it's probably the third best conference in college football.
0: Yeah, I I wouldn't disagree with that. I think you'd have some Big Twelve uh, people who would, but. Um, you know, our big 10 depending on who you're talking about. is well, the big 10 two. is second. There's yeah. no way that it's anybody else. Uh, all right. Any other schedule thoughts you want to touch on?
1: No, I, I, I'm really happy with the schedule and it also works out for me. Cause I don't have to travel back to back weeks to Eugene for home games very often. So it'll be, we'll work out really good.
0: Yeah, for sure. I, I think, um, like you said at the beginning, and this was my initial thought when I, I tweeted about this when it first came out, is like I don't think Oregon could have asked for for a better schedule, really. I mean, there might be one change I'd make maybe would be to swap the Utah and Stanford games, right? Play Utah in week five before the bye, after Colorado, and then you play Stanford in, in week nine between Washington State and Cal. Maybe that would have been a slightly better a better schedule, but it's, it's really splitting hairs at this point. I, overall, like if you're Oregon, you have to be thrilled with the way the schedule. is. Yeah.
1: Like the way I look at it, this is like Texas tech is absolutely a threat. You cannot walk into Lubbock and sleepwalk and play poorly because they will beat you. Like they, they are that kind of team. Um, but I think that it's very manageable until you play Washington and that's a tough game, but it's a game that we, that we should win. Um, and I think that the fact that you've got like these, one game separations between like, like Washington and Utah and Utah and USC and USC and Oregon state is very advantageous for Oregon. Um, and I also like that, like they don't have any back-to-back home games that aren't at least split by a bye week So uh, I think that the schedule turned out as well as it could. And again, I love playing three of your last four games at home.
0: Yeah, I hadn't I caught that three or four at home in November part. I don't know how I missed that. But you calling that out is like, yeah, that just really hits me too. At, at that point in the year, playing at home is is an even bigger advantage than it is you know early in the year, in the middle of the year. And so I, I think that really, I also really like the way the non-con lines up. Right, I love that you're you're warming up with your, your FCS opponent, then you play your toughest non-con in week two, your power five opponent, and then you kind of get the week three home game against a group of five opponent before you hit the conference schedule. I I, I mean, I, that would be my ideal lineup every year. Right. Yeah. F, start with FCS, then go power five, then go a group of five. Like yeah. that's ideal.
1: You also like, like even in conference, like you get the tune up before you play Washington, like yep. you get, you get the Colorado game at home and then you get a, a second road experience. Or if you want to call it that at Stanford um, before you go up to Husky stadium. So like, there's like, there's no excuses. Like, I I hate excuses, especially scheduling related excuses in general, but there's really none. There's no excuses here.
0: Yeah, I I agree with you. There's no excuses. And and I think, you know, to me, you know, we're, we're really early on predictions or everything, but I mean, you know anything less than 10 and two is absolutely disappointing season in year two, honestly and 10 think, and two think, would
1: kind of be disappointing
0: I, well I, yeah i was going to get to that I, I, I think if you're nine and three or worse like i mean we're sitting here going like what is wrong like there's something fundamentally wrong if we go outside of like major injuries right like you know some weird thing like that right um i think there's something fundamentally wrong if oregon doesn't win at least 10 games and i and i look at 10 and two and i'm like okay where are the two losses but if we lose at texas tech and then we go eight and one in conference okay I, I don't I don't love it, but you know it is what it is if we if we run that first five and then we lose twice in the last seven i I kind of with you. I think that probably means you know we're sitting at home again on on December fourth or whatever day the conference title game is yeah and that's not that's not acceptable. This team has to be in the conference title game has to yeah has i think
1: to. I think that with the way the schedule sets up my my expectation like oh, not my expectation my i should say like i am i am hoping and i think it's very i don't think i'm wishing on a star to to want to be 11 and 1 when this is wrapped up like with everything that you brought back with all of the additions you've made with all with the recruiting that's gone on um with the way that the staff is constructed like i just expect this team to be very very good like if the if the defense can get close to being with the offense, I mean it doesn't have to get close. The offense is top five or top six in the country. Like if, if we can get just get like a top thirty defense, I'll feel great, right? So, um, yeah, this is gonna be a good. I, I think this is gonna be a very good Oregon football team, and I think that the way that they've approached the transfer portal and the way that they recruited down the stretch um, gives me confidence that this is gonna be a team that can. Like, I think that they're going to be, I would be very surprised if they are do- underdogs in more than one game next year.
0: Yep. I I would agree. I think you look at maybe the wad, depending on how the season plays out, right. I mean, the only three games they would possibly be underdogs at would be Washington, Utah and USC. Uh, I think the USC game being at home, you know, probably means they will be a favorite. And I, I, I I'd be surprised if they're underdogs at both of those road games. I, I actually think Utah has a really tough schedule and, and it's probably, you know, you know, i going to have a couple losses on their slate before that game anyway. And, and I don't see Oregon being an underdog there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that I think at Washington and USC at home are the, probably the two most likely spots where you'd be an underdog, but if you are an underdog, I don't think it's by more than three points, right? It's not by more than home field at um, at Washington and I don't think it's I don't I don't see how Oregon would be an underdog at home against USC it's, unless USC's defense makes a huge jump right and I guess like all three of or- like, Oregon fans USC fans Washington fans are all sitting here with our fingers and toes crossed hoping that our defenses make that kind of jump this year I think that Oregon is the team that has ma- added the most in in regards to experienced talent and then also underclassmen talent through prep recruiting um, to actually be, like, somewhat hopeful that their defense can turn a corner.
0: Also, our defense was the best of those three last year, so. All right. Um, we've been talking for an hour and a half, QB. We had one more topic we were going to touch on today. We can hold it over to the next show, or we can dive into it if you want. What was it? Dion. I'm done. Let's, let's You're down. You're down. Let's do it. All right. Dion and Colorado. Prime. Bring in his Louie. Um, something like that. What? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of hype and understandably so around Deion Sanders coming to Colorado and, and all the excitement that's generating. And look, it's great for Colorado. Like they haven't had this much attention on their program, and certainly since they've been in the Pac twelve, uh, I think they probably know that what the deal they're getting into here. Um, I, I the, where I kind of take issue is, you know, some people who I consider to be really smart people that cover college football are in my opinion, kind of like losing their mind in the, in the hype. (laughs) Like, I mean, there's a lot of people predicting they're going to make a bowl game this year. They're going to win seven, eight games. Someone the other day, you know, one of these national guys the other day was talking about, well, how many years until Dion has Colorado in the playoffs? Uh, And I'm just like, Whoa, 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 (laughs) let's slow. Let's slow the roll here. little people like they won one game last year and they shouldn't have even won that one like i i mean yeah he's brought in some transfers but if you look at it it's like there's three blue chips in the whole transfer list that they brought in and a bunch of guys who are either coming up from the FCS or or really weren't impact players at their existing schools uh, so it's like okay yeah they're he's improving the talent level but like their talent level was really really bad
1: yeah like, so let's, seven let's wins? Apply some like where is the 7
0: wins on the schedule
1: so yeah so really quick so colorado was 107th in offense and 125th in defense, according to S plus or F plus. So that's uh that's not good. So that's a really, really, really low baseline. Um, and as I look through their recruiting class and their portal signings, they did, they, they have upgraded talent. Like they're going to be better than they were a year ago. That much is clear, but like being better than they were a year ago, like could manifest as a four, win season. Right. Um, and like I know he said he's being Louie, but when I look through this like recruiting slash transfer portal class, it's like that guy that's got the Gucci belt buckle, but he's wearing like the five dollar t-shirt from Walmart and some Costco jeans and like a decent (laughs) pair of shoes, right? Like like, yeah, the belt buckle's nice, but the rest of the fit is not exactly at that same level. Like adding guys like Cormani McLean and adding guys like um, uh, Travis Hunter, like, are going to substantially upgrade the talent level on this team. But like 1 through 85, this is still a bad roster. Yeah. Right? And so, as much as I, I think, like, let's look, they've added a lot of
0: guys. Um, they added four blue chips out of high school, and they've added f- three out of the transfer portal. So seven yeah. seven blue chip players are new to the roster.
1: So yeah, when I look at when I look at like Colorado, they've added uh, a total of forty two players. So they have turned over half the roster, and, and there was some decent players on the roster already, uh, but there wasn't a lot. So I don't know. I just think like you're installing all new systems. I don't think that Dion is as proven as a head coach as some of the other guys. Uh, I do think he made really good hire for his offensive coordinator. I think that they'll be fun to watch offensively, but I don't think Shador Sanders is nearly as good as the media hypes him up to be uh, because I've actually watched him play. And I also think that uh, they are going to be majorly deficient on the lines of scrimmage. And so against the better teams in the conference, I think Colorado is still going to be really struggling. So I think they're like a four, like probably somewhere in the range of like a three to five wing team. And you never know, like, they are going to have some pops so they might be able to to, to, to sneak up on somebody, but on a week to week basis, I just don't think that like people realize just how horrible Colorado was last year.
0: Yeah. And I think, I think the one thing I will say is that, you know, a lot of these guys are bringing from Jackson state probably actually are upgrades to their, to their existing roster. Colorado had the 63rd, um, 63rd highest ranked roster in terms of team talent composite last season and Jackson state was 67th. So like their, their rosters were actually comparable. The difference is Jackson state is playing against FCS competition and Colorado is playing against power five competition. And they had absolutely one of the worst rosters in the entire power five. And, and many, many group of five teams are more talented than Colorado. Yeah, I
1: agree. I, I just, I don't know. I think it could work. It's going to be really interesting. Um, it's going to be really interesting to watch unfold. It's going to be fun television to watch. Uh, but their schedule is absolutely brutal. Like it, yeah, they like, got hammered. <laughs> yeah, like this. Like you, they open up against TCU at TCU, coming loss. off a national title experience. Loss. Then what? That's a loss. Yes. Then they play Nebraska at home. I think
0: that's a loss too. Yeah,
1: I agree. Uh, although that game might be kind of fun because Nebraska was pretty horrible last year too. Uh, and then you have Colorado state, which is yeah, but win. I trust,
0: I trust Matt rule but, a lot more than I trust Dion. And I also think Nebraska has a much higher level baseline talent so he, than, than Colorado.
1: Here is Dion's first five games yeah. at TCU, Nebraska, Colorado state at Oregon, USC have fun. That's one win, one win Colorado. That's, state. You're probably starting off one and four, maybe, maybe two and three, uh, but that would be beating Nebraska. Um, Because you're not beating Oregon, you're not beating USC, and you're not beating TCU.
0: Okay, so let's say one and four. Where are the other five wins that get you to bowl eligibility? Well, they so immediately
1: after playing USC and starting one and four, they go to Arizona State. Um, That might be one of the wins. Uh, Then they play Colorado. Then they play Stanford. Be generous
0: and say they get it. Uh, Let's say they get Stanford. So okay, now they're up to three.
1: Yep, you're you're three and four. You go to UCLA, which I think is a loss. Yes. Um, you play Oregon State at home. I think that's a loss for the reasons yes. I outlined in regards to the line of scrimmage. I think Oregon State will just run them up and down the field. Yes. Uh, they play Arizona at home, which is a winnable game. They play at Washington State, which is a winnable game. And then okay. they go to Utah. If you Utah. win both
0: of those, you're at five.
1: Yeah. That's why I think three to five is the range. Because um, that's saying that they win every game they could win.
0: Yeah.
1: Because I don't think that they can win against Utah on the road. I don't yeah. think they can win against UCLA on the road or Oregon on the road. I don't think they can beat USC at home or away. I don't think that they can win on the road at TCU. So, yeah, it's going to be pretty brutal. Um, I, if their schedule was easier, they might be a bowl team. But they just you play two Power Fives back to back as your first two games.
0: Yeah, yeah. If they had if they had a non-conference schedule like UCLA's or you know, and theirs isn't super easy either, but it is all Group of Five at least. Or some of the other teams, you know, in in the Pac-12, you know, you, that's what, you know, to get for them, for any team that's at the bottom of their bottom half of their conference, and in Colorado's case, the absolute bottom of their conference, if you're trying to build your program up to bowl eligibility, you absolutely need as many out of conference cream puffs as you could get, right? And Colorado, you know, is, has far from it, far yeah. from it. They probably um, have the most difficult out of conference schedule in the conference. Uh, yeah, I would say I mean, so. Who's harder? I, I wouldn't know. Um, I haven't looked I'm at everyone's just, schedule. I'm just scanning across it right now. I mean, that, I think that's it. I mean, maybe Utah cause they got Florida and Baylor. Yeah. So yeah, those two, both, but at least, but Utah is also a two time conference champion. So like they should be playing tougher competition and those games are, those are games they can win. Uh, all right. So yeah, so no no uh... disagreement. And
1: when I look at, and by the way, when I look at Nebraska's transfer class, I think it's substantially better.
0: Agree.
1: So it will be interesting to see how it all plays out. But I think, again, I think that the PAC 12 is must watch TV this year this upcoming season it's going to be it's going to be really fun like if you were just a, a fan of the pack 12 which i cannot put myself in that place i don't understand the psychology of a human that's wired that way um you're going to have a blast watching it this year and even as like there's going to be a lot of games that i don't have fan affiliation in and i can't wait to watch those either like i think it's going to be a super super fun season of football
0: yeah, I, I, I'm really excited about this conference season, not just from an Oregon perspective, but from across the landscape of the conference. I mean, last year was, was a huge, uh, you know, tr- positive turning point for the Pac 12 from a play on the field perspective and excitement perspective. You I know, mean, not only did you, know, you end up with six teams ranked and, you know, for five teams that won 10 games, like, there was, for the most part, an exciting brand of football that people like watching. Right. Yeah, I mean, it was a bunch
1: of horrible defenses playing against good offenses. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, think, I think that the defenses will be better. Like, again, at the top of the conference, I think that all three of Utah, USC, and Washington will get better defensively. The question is, who's going to improve the most and who has the most room to get better? Um, so... It'll be interesting to see Doug. I am doing the potty dance. we have been recording for so long. I've drank in two full bottles of bottles of water. I got one
0: more uh, question before we go QB. I'm uh, going okay. to make okay. back to Dion uh, okay. over under on how many seasons he's at Colorado uh,
1: taking the under on three.
0: Yeah, I, I think two, I think two is the, the sweet spot. He's going to get into three or four wins this year. He's going to make a bowl game in year two, and then he's going to move on to his next job.
1: Yeah, I think, I think him making a bowl game and recruiting well, because I think they're going to recruit much better next year than they did. Well. Yeah. yeah, they're going to recruit better next year than they did this year. Uh, and I think that's going to be the nail in the coffin for Colorado. And I think somebody bigger is going to come calling.
0: On that note, sign us off, my friend.
1: Sounds good. Hey, everybody, thank you so much for the support. Again, thank you to all the contributors on Anchor. Thank you to Idaho, um, Duck, and – oops, sorry – uh, Idaho Duck and leaderboard for your like outstanding support above and beyond what would ever be expected or asked. Um, everyone, be safe this weekend. Have a great time, and we will be back with you next week.